It's radio theater for your soul. It's radio theater for your soul. With storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. The storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host, Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, a.k.a. Courageous Love, always just a cut above. Yeah. For your soul audience, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to my 2021 summer series radio show. Yes, my name is Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love, and I am your host who will be gathering with the storytellers around the mic weekly. Storytelling is a gift. It is meant to be shared, and our mission is to continue to provide a global stage for storytellers of all genres of storytelling. This is the time where storytellers get to share their gift. And you, the listening audience, you are invited to join the gathering weekly. Tune in, tell a friend, share, send us a message, and let us know if you would like to join us live after the special storytelling presentation. We will be gathering online to make that happen during this summer series. But before we get started today, I thank God, my family, friends, and ancestors for their ongoing support. For those of you listening for the first time ever, Radio Theater for Your Soul has been the gathering place around the mic for storytellers since the beginning of 2016. 2016, everybody. We or I (laughs) took a hiatus in 2018, which led me to fully understand and embrace the benefits and healing properties of storytelling, which prior to creating this show, I may have taken for granted. Oh, but the storytellers, the listeners, you would not let me forget how important hearing someone's story really made the difference in your day, in your week, in your life. So in 2019, I began to pull together thoughtful archival footage, photos, testimonials, and narration from our previous broadcasts to reveal the making of this internet radio show in the form of a film, a documentary, something more visual. It celebrates the fascinating minds and hearts of over 100 storytellers who were featured right here on Radio Theater for Your Soul, but during the first four seasons. The documentary is titled Radio Theater for Your Soul, a docu-story. And I am so excited to tell you that it has been making the rounds in the film festival circuit. Also, please check out all of our past shows anytime by visiting radiogathering.wixsite.com slash radiogathering. 
We're also in the archives on AcceleratedRadio.net. A big shout out to the Accelerated Radio family and their entire team for hosting our first four seasons. And love you all. And if you're on social media, please follow us at Radio Gathering. That's one word, Radio Gathering. At Radio Gathering, R-A-D-I-O-G-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-G, Radio Gathering, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram for the most recent updates. Finally, I am grateful to have this global stage as a gathering place to share my love of storytelling. Oh my God, your support has been so appreciated. I am so grateful. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul. I am Courageous Love, and you are listening to our 2021 Summer Series. This show is brought to you by Kombucha EXL. Far better than a soft drink, it's a delicious path to healthy. Even from the subways of New York City, you're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul. Does anyone want to know what Radio Theater for Your Soul is really all about? Yeah, yeah. tell us what is Radio Theater for Soul. You want to know what it's about? Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell me. All right. All right. Well, I'll tell you in a nutshell. It is all about storytelling and storytellers featuring unique voices, the written and or unwritten words during this one hour broadcast. This 2021 eight-week summer series will be a combination of live and pre-recorded special presentations. Internet radio is our global stage, our gathering place around the mic that virtually replaces the baobab tree where all kinds of stories have been and continue to be shared. Now, if you tuned in to any of our previous shows, you heard featured storytellers from all walks of life. And we continue on that road. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome to the gathering featured storyteller, entrepreneur, Mr. Ron Lester. Ron Lester was born in Philadelphia, PA, to Marva Lester and William Saxon Jr. at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Ron always jokes that it was the closest he got to attending an Ivy League institution. (laughs) Ron left Philadelphia in 1987 to attend Otero Junior College in La Junta, Colorado. He said it was an opportunity to see the country as he took an Amtrak train all the way there. During his spring semester of 1988, Ron became interested in pursuing theater as a full-time major. Realizing if he's going to pursue theater, then he should be in New York. A few days later, he got a brochure in the mail from NYU advertising summer classes. Ron immediately chose New York University as the school to study theater full time. In the fall of 1989, 
He enrolled in NYU's undergraduate drama program at Tisch School of the Arts, studying in the Practical Aesthetics Workshop, a.k.a. PAW, forged by David Mamet and William H. Macy, which is now taught via the Atlantic Theater Company. Ron went on to enter the workforce in February of 1992 and graduated from New York University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in May of 1992. Fast forward to 2003 and Ron founded the Disco Party Fundraiser, which is a lively dance party that raises money for multiple and unique nonprofit organizations. In 2010, Ron established the William Saxon Jr. Foundation in his late father's name to support organizations and individuals involved in the arts and education. Currently, Ron lives and works uptown, Harlem, New York City, and is working on his first graphic novel. Gathering hold of the mic. To share his voice, a personal story, is featured storyteller, entrepreneur, Mr. Ron Lester. I was always curious about my father. I had no recollection of his being around from my birth to two years of age. As far as I was concerned, I had no recollection recollection of the man at all. He was a phantom, a figment of my imagination. I was never hard pressed to find out who he was because I was not the only kid amongst my community to be from a single parent household led by a woman. So, you know, it was like, it, it, it didn't matter. Everybody had, you know, just a, a single parent household everyone just referred to oh yeah my mother my mother this my mother that there was never a f- like you know no one ever said mom and dad mom and pop it was always my mother this my mother that and it was a lonely childhood plagued with insecurities fear and a persistent need for something or someone to keep me safe to supply me with a constant confirmation that everything is going to be all right Someone to keep me safe from bullies and their mercilessly painful teasing. Teasing from demons disguised as brown-skinned children whose sole purpose on this planet was to keep me in tears and to ensure that I hated myself. Had Had I brought a gun to school and blown my brains out in front of them, They wouldn't have been horrified or regretful for what they had done or for for driving me to it. They would be sad that their torment of me was cut short. They always prefer a slow, painful descent into a blubbering, weak, and pathetic child. So I knew then that my father couldn't provide what was missing. My mother had an old black and white photo of him that I would look at many times. It was of him in the parking lot behind our apartment building. He was in the shade as he looked into the distance meditatively. He wore eyeglasses and, you know, I had never seen him. I was like, Mom, are you sure this is my father? 
the image was a figment to me. Uh, the feeling I had looking at that picture was, you know, I had never seen him and I never will. So it was like he didn't exist. The photo might as well have been a painting of a man that my mother conjured up. In the early 1980s, my curiosity got the best, the best, the best of me. So I started looking up his name in the white pages. William Saxon Jr. That's his name that I found. And my mother was not very supportive, saying it could be hateless, it could be anybody, and not necessarily your father. I had a feeling it was him, and called the telephone number. And the conversation went like this. A man answered, saying, hello. And I asked, is this William Saxon? The man said, yes. And I was just, you know, my heart, my heart skipped a beat. I was like in somewhat disbelief. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, what if mom was right? Maybe this isn't him. And then I asked again, uh, well, is this William Saxon Jr.? And the man said, yes, who is this? You know, his voice was now, you know, he was getting irritated. He was like, you know, who is this, you know? Like, you know, he could have been at work, you know, just, you know, I was interrupting him and he didn't know who I was, so he wanted to know. And I just, I was just scared and I just hung up the phone. I bailed. I couldn't, I couldn't take the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the pressure. <laughs> so, and thank God for no caller ID in the early 1980s, you know, and I don't know how nervous kids who are searching for their fathers today are doing it. You know, with all this caller ID and, you know, and whatever. <laughs> uh, since the telephone thing didn't go so well. I decided to send a letter to the address that was listed next to his name in the white pages. I kept it brief and made no effort to write in a legible manner. Um, I didn't expect much, if anything, to come out of it. The following year, I received a card from him and I was like, oh my gosh, he is real. It was like I breathed life into that figment and made it real. It felt like a miracle. And it kind of freaked my mother out a little because she never expected to hear from him again or see him ever either. So um, so she was, she, she was pretty like shocked. She, she couldn't believe that I had actually pulled it off, you know, um, by uh, finding my father. And then another card arrived before I received a telephone call from him in 1986. Now, as soon as I heard the strange man's voice, I knew instinctively it was my father. I had told myself long ago that if I ever met him, that I would address him as Pop. However, at that moment, he was a stranger. So it was too soon to call him anything that wreaked any sentiment. He called because he wanted to arrange a face-to-face -face meeting. It was, it was Christmas time and I figured this would be the gift with the biggest impact I would ever receive in my entire life. 
he said he would call back in a few days to give me a specific date and time as to when he would swing by uh, our house. And I told my mother what was happening, and now she was in full-on freak-out mode. You know, just screaming, like, what did he want? What did he say? What did you say? Blah, blah, blah. You know, she was just going on and on. And, you know, I guess looking back, I can, I can imagine her surprise and near disbelief of this familial development. Yeah, she was blindsided and had long ago and had long ago relegated herself to the fact that he was gone and never coming back. Pop showed up <clears throat> a few days later, and I remember walking downstairs thinking, okay, I'm about to see my father for the very first time in recent memory. I had no recollection of him when he was around until I was two years old. So I guess I had the very same feeling when people were entering the restaurant meeting a blind date. I was literally walking into the unknown and I made a decision to be unexcited and nonchalant. I reached the bottom of the stairs and there he was in the flesh, sitting in the living room, my father, a light-skinned man with an 80s version of an afro. The fourth conversation we had was forgettable. And I had the nerve to do some ironing in front of him because, you know, I thought, you know, we were going to go out somewhere. So I was, um, I wasn't ready by the time he got there. So, uh, I was just ironing my, you know, clothes, my pants in front of him. And, uh, and, uh, when I finished, I went back upstairs, you know got ready, got dressed, and went back downstairs. And as I was coming, as, 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 as I was going back downstairs, he was walking out the door, saying that he would come back for me in two days and we would, you know, go out then. So, but I felt bamboozled. I, I, then I felt like, okay, yeah, I knew this is too good to be true. You know, um, I, I'm finally ready to go out. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little excited, looking forward to it. And now he's walking out the door. That's it's like that's how they do. <laughs> it's like when you, you know they just you know when you see them there, you gotta you gotta you gotta act quick or they will walk out the door on you. So and I I was just thinking nothing is gonna ever come out of this. Uh, nothing nothing is ever gonna come of this relationship. And then I figured you know looking back I must have maybe misunderstood. Um, maybe he just wanted to touch base at that meeting. And I somehow misconstrued and thought that he was coming to uh, get me so we can hang out somewhere. And uh, so my mother asked, well, well, when you come back to get Ron, well, where are you going to take him? And he said to her, you don't need to know that and left. Now, you have to realize, you know, my mother and I had not seen this man for uh, 15 years I mean he left in 1971 and now it's 1986 15 years have passed and he wants to take me somewhere which is nice and my mother asks uh, you know a, a, a simple question that any mother would ask you know uh, of a man who's taking her child somewhere 
and of course this it doesn't matter that this man happens to be my father it's like we don't know him you know uh well my mother knew him in the 60s but you know there's a 15 year absence people change people can change in 15 years and uh so he after he said that after he said you don't need to know that and left my mother my mother had two days to simmer and prepare for war she made it clear to me that if he didn't tell me where he was going to take me that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going anywhere with him I just so I just you know so I just somehow already knew that this you know that it wasn't going to work out he was not going to uh, tell her he was I just figured he, he just wasn't going to do it and that I wasn't going to go anywhere uh, with him and that was going to be the end of it <laughs> So, it, again, like I said, I didn't, it was a good thing that I uh, set myself up not to expect much because uh, it was turning out to be something uh, of a disappointment. And, uh, you know, so I, I, it, I just knew I was going to get to hang out with him. So the morning of his visit, my mother's like ready. She's just like, she, I don't even, she probably didn't even sleep that night. She probably lay awake in bed all night just thinking about how she was, what she was going to say. I bet she was thinking about, you know, memories of him in the 60s, you know, maybe his, his bad behavior at times. And I bet she was saying stuff like, oh, this is typical of him. You know, I can't believe he won't tell me where he's going to take my child. We haven't seen him in 15 years. I bet she was just, you know, just all in her head about it, you know, and just, just visualizing how she was going to lay him out if he, if he still refused to tell her where he was going to take me. And my mother was like, wherever he takes me, then, you know, well, I want to go with you. You know, so. Uh, I'm sure he really, he really didn't want that. <laughs> so, it was uh, Sunday, Sunday morning, um, the morning of his visit. And, um, you know, I just stayed in bed and slept late because that's something I would do anyway. Um, my mother stormed into my room, you know, waking me up, which is, you know, something she did often and unapologetically. And she gave me a stern reminder saying, if your father doesn't tell me where he's taking you today, you ain't going nowhere. So I nodded to let her know that I understood and went right back to sleep. I already knew it wasn't it wasn't happening. I, I was over it. It's, it's a done deal. I know. So I heard loud voices from downstairs intermittently as I was in and out of sleep. When I finally had awakened and gone downstairs, my mother told me that he refused to tell her where he was going to take me. And that's why I wasn't with him. Wow, what a news flash that was. <laughs> she also pointed to the $40 in cash that he left for me. A parting gift. <laughs> So, uh, and you know, 1986, 1987 was also my senior year in high school. Now, a cousin convinced me to invite my father to my high school graduation. Um, I was hesitant, you know, because my mother had already warned me uh, to, you know, not see him because now she just doesn't trust him at all after that episode around Christmas time of 1986. The fact he didn't want to tell where he was, he was going to take me, she, I mean, she just figured he was dangerous. I mean, you know, he could be up to anything, you know, um, after 15 years. And um, so I was like, I was telling my cousin Sonia, I said, no, I don't know, because, you know, I don't want my mother to find out. She'll, like, be really upset. 
And then my cousin was like, but Ron, you you only graduated from high school once, and, you know, he's your father, you know, he should be there. You know, why don't you just go, you, you know you know his number, you found him in the white pages, you know that's him, well, why don't you just, just, just give it a shot, what have you got to lose? So she convinced me to do it, so... So one day after uh, school, I uh, went into town and, um, you know, 1211 Art Street was the address. And uh, I said, okay, so my mission was to go to his office and and give him a personal invitation to my high school graduation. So I went to the building and saw his name on a directory and buzzed. Uh, a man came out and said he moved to the office building that's across the street. He as he pointed over there. Um, I said okay. Now the, the 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 first building was you know like a normal office building you know nothing fancy. The building across the street was something uh, out of a horror movie. Think um, the Psycho House. <laughs> The movie Psycho, The House. Um, people from the Philadelphia area who are Generation X's think Brigantine Castle. <laughs> You'll know what that means. People from Philadelphia and South Jersey who are Generation X. Brigantine Castle, that's what this place looks like. It was creepy. And uh, I was like, that's where he is? That's where he moved to? So I said, okay, I just want, I wanted to give him this invitation to my high school graduation. So I saw his name on a directory. So unfortunately I was in the right place. I started to climb the stairs and a decrepit elevator from the 1930s descended the middle of the stairwell. It was one of those, you know, those, uh, the stairwell that wraps, is a, a wraparound stairwell. And in the center was an elevator shaft. Yeah, we don't see those elevator shafts in the stairwells anymore. So, um, so yeah, so this 1930s elevator came down, creaking down, and an even older man from the 1800s came out and asked if he could help me. And, you know, um, I'm sure I was somewhat nervous, and I told him that I was looking for William Saxon. And he said, he's no longer a tenant here. So... I was totally and completely relieved. I raced out of there and bolted for the door. So I didn't tell my mother, of course, because like I said, I had done, you know, uh, she had forbade me to ever see him again. So I didn't want her to know that I was, uh, you know, looking for him. Again, to invite him to my high school graduation. So that was in 1987, and my mother and I didn't hear from him again until the spring of 1991. Now he just popped out of the uh, he just popped out of the blue and gave my mother uh, a visit, you know, right there in the housing projects in Philadelphia, West Philadelphia. No born and raised. I know, I know, everybody's singing the song, but anyway, I, I really am from West Philadelphia. Um, so he, so he asked um, what I was up to, and uh, my mother told him that I was a student at New York University in New York City, and he immediately said that he needed to speak to me after hearing that. So you know, I wanted to, my mother called me up and told me what happened, and I wanted to know you know why he, you know what he wanted to tell me, like what was so important, 
you know, my mother was like, no, she 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 was getting upset and started yelling, no, don't, because he looked dirty and I don't trust him. He look, looks crazy. You know, I just, I think he's strung out on drugs or something. You know, I don't, you know, trust him. You just focus on your life and do what you need to do and forget about him. So reluctantly, um, I said, uh, all right, I, I, I said, okay, I'll just forget about him, like you said. You know, um, I just, you know, well, I guess, you know, at the time, you know, she, she was, she was just protecting me. That's what it was. She was, it was a mother protecting her child. Again, this is the man who didn't want to tell her where he was going to take her after 15 years. So she didn't trust him. So, and after, you know, in, in her perception, the way he looked, she really didn't, um, trust him. You know, she like had more evidence now that he was up to no good. And as it turns out, you know, as I found out much later that he was going to just, you know, he wanted, in 86, he wanted to just to simply take me to his mother's house. He wanted me to meet my paternal grandmother, Grandma Kay. And um, so, so like I said, needless to say, I, I didn't contact him and focus on my life as my mother demanded. And I graduated from NYU in 1992. And Christmas of that same year, I learned from my mother that my father has two daughters. I was shocked. And that prompted me to contact my father right away. I called his mother's house because I figured uh, that's where they would be since it was Christmas Day. You know, the internet was still a few a few years away, so it was back to the white pages once again to get the telephone number to Grandma Kay's house. And sure enough, the whole family, Pop's immediately immediate family was there. And I was already shocked to learn that my father had two daughters. And I doubt anything. At the time, I doubted anything could prepare me for what I was about to learn next from this phone call. Uh, I spoke to Pop and he said that Shawnee, one of his daughters, is also going to college in New York. And my heart began to race after hearing that. I silently said to myself, Please let it be any school other than NYU. Say Hunter. Say Columbia. City College. And uh, so I responded with, um, to his, uh, you know, telling me that Shawnee's going to, to school in New York. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he asked, um, and, said, so, and I asked, well, which school? And he said, NYU, of course, of course, that's what, that's what he was going to say. You know, of course, this is the kind of world we live in. <laughs> um, bad news is endless anyway. <laughs> so it didn't stop there. Shawnee gets on the phone and she says that she knows me. And she mentioned a mutual, a mutual friend, Rhonda, and goes on to say that she was close friends with Rhonda's roommate. I was a stage manager for a play entitled I Am Because We Are in the fall of 1991. Rhonda was a featured actor in the show with an amazing singing voice. Rhonda and I became friendly and she hated Shawnee and her, and her roommate. Especially Shawnee because she was always there in Rhonda's dorm apartment at 3rd Ave North. I mean like always there, you know, like, like as if she lived there, going in and, in and out of the refrigerator, using the phone, using the bathroom, you know, everything. Uh, it was like she lived there and Rhonda hated her for it. 
So to me, Shawnee was the girl that that uh, Rhonda hated. So after Shawnee described herself, uh, I said, "You're the girl with the braids," and she said, "Yes, uh, that she doesn't have them now, but she did have them, you know, uh, on the night to which I was referring, and the night." It was just a night, a weekend night, you know, college kids hanging out, hanging out late, wide awake at three o'clock in the morning, just wide awake, running around, hanging out. And I remember um, this girl being there, a light skinned girl with braids. And um, and then I was like, oh, that's the girl that Rhonda hates. Now, I arrived at NYU in the fall of 1989. Shawnee got there one year later. Uh, when I look back, I remembered a girl who was attending an Awamu meeting. Uh, it was the first Awamu, Awamu meeting for the fall of 1990. Uh, it was yeah, it was Shawnee. Interestingly enough, I was an undergraduate drama major, and she was a dramatic lit major. So it made sense that she would attend the meeting because uh, Awamu was a black theater group. Um, our mutual interests went beyond NYU. We both love hip hop, and we're at the same nightclubs together we, we, without us even knowing. We, we, you know, we were related. Uh, Red Zone comes to mind. Red Zone on Fifty Fourth Street, West Fifty Fifty Fourth Street in Midtown. Um, P Diddy, who was known as Puff Daddy back then, was doing a hip hop party on Wednesday nights. We were there, you know, uh, but we <laughs> we didn't know each other. Um, now, I mentioned how my father showed up at my mother's house in the spring of 1991. Shawnee was home in Philadelphia for the summer of 1991. And she told me how one day she and Pop happened to be watching a talk show on television about long-lost relatives. After the show was over, she looks over at Pop and asks somewhat jokingly, Dad, do I have any relatives out there that I don't know about? He gave an answer. Uh, he gave the answer that she expected. No. So a few weeks later, um, uh, a few weeks later, or so uh, a few weeks or so later, uh, they were driving somewhere together, and Pop said to Shawnee, um, "Shawnee, remember that TV show we saw together about long lost relatives?" Shawnee goes, "Yeah," with you know some sudden concern in her voice, and Pop goes. Well, there is Ron. And that's what, that's what Pop said to Shawnee. And she goes like a little crazy on Pop. And she's like, Ron? Dad, who's Ron? And of course, Pop couldn't, couldn't leave it there because he had more gut-wrenching news to deliver. And, and then he says to her, Yeah, and he's also going to NYU. Shawnee is full-on freak-out. Blindsided by news she never expected to hear in a million years, she went from a mundane, routine drive with her father to discovering she has a half-brother who is going to NYU with her and sickened by the fact that she was currently dating, that she was also currently dating a guy who was also named Ron. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. She was not. But if you can imagine how, you know, if it turned out that way, we would have had a, a Greek tragedy on our hands. Uh, so that did not have we dodged that bullet. So now it's the, uh, the fall of 1991. 
And Shawnee now knows that I am her brother and I am still left in the dark. My father's family thought it best to keep it that way, uh, less to deal with more family turmoil. It was Shawnee's sophomore year at NYU in my very last semester. Uh, throughout the fall semester of 1991, Shawnee had a team of friends that would report back, you know, sightings of me around Greenwich Village and the NYU campus. You know, hey, Shawnee, I saw your brother today. Uh, he was at the uh, um, the Weinstein dorm or he was at the, the E&L Student Center or whatever, you know. Or he was in Washington Square Park, you know, and they, she, they were just, all of this is going on. I had no idea. Um, I was none the wiser. So I quietly finished the fall semester of December, December 1991 and lived in my Brooklyn house until it was time to participate in the 1992 graduation ceremony at school. Uh, so... At the end of 1992, I discovered I had two other siblings. And now I realize what my father wanted to tell me back in the spring of 1991. And after some months, um, after the December uh, 1992 uh, full disclosure of my paternal family members, uh, after some months of, of that episode, I reached out to him in May of 1993. And I just called him up and said, uh, Pop, I, I, just, I, like, I would like to have a relationship with you. Because I was mentoring, um, I was a mentor at a youth program. And there was a kid who was uh, being coached to uh, talk to his father, to establish a relationship with his father, who was also estranged. And he was just so honest about it. And it was just so, um, just a young kid, you know, making it a, a concerted effort to connect with his father the best way he could. A 16-year-old kid. So I was like, well, if he can do that, that was in April of 19, 1993. I was like, if he can do that, then I can do it too. Because I just, I just, I just didn't think about connecting with him, like having a connection, an ongoing relationship with him. So that kid's name was David Sierra. I'll never forget it. And I uh, reached out to my father, had a long conversation with him, and said, "Listen, I want to establish a relationship with you." And I'm glad I did because we, we had 11 years. I had 11 years with him until he died on September 4th, 2004, two days after my 35th birthday. And uh, so I just, the whole point of this is uh, family ties. I could have easily have, um, you know, let this go. I could have just concluded that I'll never see him, that he could have remained a phantom um, uh, I never. I could have opted not to find out the story behind that man in that picture in that parking lot who was staring off into the distance pensively. I could have just left it there, and it would have been fine. It's just that I would have missed out on family. 
learning about my family history because my father's sister was uh, shed a lot of photographs of of the family members um, from the, from the Saxon clan. My father's side of the family, and uh, it was interesting seeing photographs of uh, of a dentist and uh, well dressed men. I mean, from the twentieth uh, early early twentieth century, and it was it was. Uh, edifying to see these people, my family members who were professional men and who looked who looked confident in their photographs. I had I, I had never experienced that, you know, uh from my mother's side of the family. Not not that not that I remember. And um so that was a gift. And I'm just for, feel fortunate that I had the foresight and the courage to um seek out my father and get to know him. And I'm grateful for those seven years, those eleven years. And today, Shawnee has three children: my two nephews and one niece. My other sister, Dana, is working and living abroad. Uh, this is in addition to my youngest sister, Treva, with whom I grew up in, who I grew up with in West Philadelphia. Treva and I, Treva and I have the same mother. So I thank you for listening to my story about uh, how I uh, got, how I reached out and connected to my to my father. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. We believe that a natural and organic beverage for health-conscious people who want to restore and maintain the body's essential balance is available with our tasty and refreshing Kombucha EXL. Kombucha EXL is a wholesome drink that has been brewing since 2005, boasting 100% natural ingredients that will support your overall health. Kombucha EXL is only 10 calories per serving, far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Order yours today at kombuchaexl.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L.com. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. Welcome back to Radio Theater for Your Soul. I'm your host, Shanice C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. And you just heard featured storyteller, entrepreneur, and good friend, Mr. Ron Lester. Yay! Thank you again for being here, Ron. Please tell our listeners how or where they can hear you, see you, or contact you. Okay, Shawnee, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, you're um, welcome. <laughs> your listeners can uh, find me on Instagram. I am my handle is disco ron underscore eight five zero zero. That's D I S C O R O N underscore eight five zero zero, and they can also see me on Facebook. Uh, Ron Lester, my first name, R-O-N, last name, L-E-S-T-E-R. And I'm the guy in the yellow shirt wearing a smile, hanging out in Coney Island. 
All right. That's the yellow shirt, wearing a smile, hanging out in Coney Island guy. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Listeners, we are on live with featured storyteller Ron Lester, who just shared his personal story dealing with father-son relationships and family ties. Now, Ron, is there anything else you would like to share that you didn't get a chance to in your presentation? Two things, Shawnees, I would like to share. Okay. Uh, the first is my mother told me um, in 1964 that she was invited to a party um, by my father at his parents' house in West Philadelphia. And however, she didn't meet them that night. She, she saw them briefly and peripherally, <laughs> you know, mm. from the corner of her eye. They were, they were, they were leaving out the house going you know, to some other event. And so she never met them that night. And my paternal grandfather passed away in 1972, I believe. And um, so 29 years later, you know, in 1993, when I have been, you know, reunited with my father, we decided to go to, to, to that same house. Um, Grandma Kay, as I called her in my uh, story, um, you know, she was up in age. I forget how old. I don't, I don't remember how old she was then. But anyway, it was my mother, my sister, Treva, and myself. We had to sit down with Grandma Kay and my father. We had a, a nice, you know, civil meeting. It was, uh, it, it, it was, it was nice. It was very nice. Mm -hmm. And I just, just, I just felt so, I was like, wow. When I thought about it afterwards, I was like, it took 29 years for my mother to finally meet at least one of my father's parents face to face. Wow. And um, and then six months later, she died. So so we were just in time. Just in time. Just in time. Yeah. yeah. Now, the second thing, um, and this is in perfect succession. Um, she, Grandma Kay passed away January 1994. And after the services, we went back to the house. Um, and my aunt had, uh, my aunt was, it was like the, the, the self-proclaimed family historian. Um, and she, she's <laughs> passed away too. She passed away in 2015. But anyway, um, she had brought out all these black and white pictures of the Saxon relatives from the 19th century, early 20th century, mid 20th century. There was one picture in particular that, um, that moved me. And it was one of our relatives. He was a dentist and he had, he took, he was taking a picture with all of his latest dental equipment. It was state of the art. It was the, the, the latest in, the, in, in dental uh, technology, you know, mm, dental mm -hmm. equipment technology. He had the latest and greatest. And he was just posing with it. He was all proud and everything. And uh, he looked confident. And I was like, wow. And I was 24 at the time. So looking at that picture, like it, it imbued me with this feeling of, uh, well, pride. And, and it was like, I just felt pr proud to be connected with something like that empowered yeah, yeah that's it was very empowered by yeah that's amazing and that and also that your your aunt even had pictures from that long ago oh yeah she was amazing i love stuff like that i love archives i love history so this would be my my paternal family's personal history or personal archives i was very excited I love it. I love it. And I, I do have another question for you. What would you say 
And thank you for sharing that. But what would you say to young boys or young people in general who may have a curiosity and want to reach out to a parent that may be absent or may have been absent in their life? Uh, To that person, I would say, if you have a curiosity, go for it. And even if you have the slightest curiosity, go for it. You know, because my thing is like, why not rule out the chance of having any regrets? Um, Mm. You know, I was, my my father passed away in September 4th, 2004, two days after my 35th birthday. Now, had I waited until I was like 38, 39, whatever, I would have been too late. And can you imagine me, you know, finding my relatives and saying, oh, I'm sorry, he died three years ago, four years ago. Oh, God, if he had only, if he had only reached out to us sooner, you know, you would have, you would have met him. No, uh-uh. in uh, 90s and May of 1993, I established my own relationship with my father and I had uh, 11 years with him, a good 11 that. years. A good 11 mm-hmm. years. That's great. Yes. And, and yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll add on to that too, for any young people or older people who want to reach out to their parent that you should, because you just never know. You'll, it's better to, to, to go ahead and reach out and and see if you can have a relationship instead of wondering what if what if I had or or I don't know maybe I could have maybe I couldn't have it's it's good to to do it to go for it so mm-hmm. yeah I agree with you and 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 I'm glad you got your your time with your your father before he passed on exactly. as well yeah and, and if I could just slip in there like oh mm-hmm. no go ahead slip in. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cause I, I just want to be aware of the time. Um, I just want to, you know, it's, it, it really, for me, it really was stepping into the unknown and I really, I, I really wasn't thinking that it could go badly. I mean, but there's always that chance, right? But I just don't want anyone who, um, does have the, a curiosity or even the slightest curiosity to, um, I just, I just wouldn't want them to be stopped by the possibility of it not going well. Like when maybe their strange relative, you know, may not be accepting. You know, I mean, that is that is possible, but you just don't mm-hmm. know. So I'm like, you no, know, why not just go for it anyway and just have no regrets? That's right. That's right, Ron. And is is no regrets. That's that's the the two key words today. No regrets. How about that? Mm-hmm. And Ron, is there anything else you would like to say, like to your family, a family member, a listener, anyone specifically? Um, should they hear this podcast in the future, in the near future, in the far future? Anybody? Uh, two people. Um, so my first is my uh, mother. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, she had me uh, in the in the late 1960s, well, 1969, and just made it in that decade. <laughs> and, um, you know, and still during that time, um, you know, it was frowned upon to have for a woman to have a child out of wedlock, you know, you know, to right. not be married and have a baby. And, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, the, 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 the desire to conform with um, societal norms and, you know, to be in propriety, um, those ideals were, were still set in place and not too many people were willing to um, defy them. Because, um, again, like, you know, case in point, my, my father did get two other women pregnant around the same time as my mother. And those women terminated their pregnancies. My mother, thanks to her courageous love, (laughs) 
like you, Shawnees. Um, you know, just she, uh, she, 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 she. Well, I'm here today because she chose to have her, her baby, and I'm that That's baby, right. all grown up, of course. You know. That's right. And I'm so curious as to how you know these women had abortions, but I or not abortion, chose to, well, abortions, yeah, chose to get rid of their babies. I, I'm curious about that, but we'll, well, we'll that's talk about that. What my mother told me, yeah. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love it. And your mom is courageous love. She is courageous love. And yes, she was. I have to say this before we wind down and, and before we close out. I have known Ron listeners for many, many years. We go way back. Ron, you talked about NYU and your story and was also in your bio. And that's where we met at NYU. So we have a long history, listeners. And this is my buddy right here. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, God. Yes. 32. You know, you got me reminiscing. Like, you know, I started NYU. I was a transfer student. August 1990. I mean, yep, no. August 1989, which is 32 yeah. years ago this month. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. 32 years ago this year. I mean, later, it was like the last Sunday in August, I was moving into the dorms, Carlisle Court, <laughs> best, best undergrad dorms at NYU. I, well, I will argue with that because I was in Third Ave North, but we'll we'll just <laughs> we won't have that argument on and, here. But but yes. <laughs> oh no, no argument. No, oh no, only love here. And, and I say That's that right. because. Um, you know, with love, I acknowledge you, my dear friend, Shanice, who you're the main reason why I graduated NYU, because there was a time where at the end of the very first semester, I was like, it was December 89. I was like, this was a mistake. I have no business being here around amongst all these rich kids. You know, I, 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 I don't have enough money to come here. What was I thinking? So I was out of there. You got a hold of me and said, listen. You know, once you got wind of, you know, I had told somebody else and they told you, you said, Ron, listen, I don't have any money either. And I am going to graduate, you know. And so that set yeah. me straight. And because of you, I did graduate. I got my um, degree sitting in my office now. I love that. And, so, and I, you always you remember that. I, and I remember it to a, a very small degree. But I remember you always saying I looked you straight in your eyes and I told you. Yes, you did. That that. You were going to graduate just like me and all of the details of that. I don't have that as fresh in my mind as you do. But at the end of the day, Ron, you did that work. You did that. I might have told you to do something, but you actually did it. And with God's help, we both graduated. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you were giving me, um, you know, you know, you, you were like my um, like my oldest sibling. My, you were giving me big sister vibes. Big time. Mm -hmm. You said it was so much conviction. I'll never forget it. And I yeah. think. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate that. And and I and and I have to also um, thank the listeners. Listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you again to Kombucha EXL, who's sponsoring this show. Please try out Kombucha EXL, everyone. It's indeed far better than a soft drink. It is a delicious path to healthy. And thank you to Mr. Evan St. Prue for bringing Kombucha EXL our way. Also, thank you to Anchor by Spotify for providing this podcast platform. And it has been my pleasure to host my longtime friend, featured storyteller, entrepreneur, Mr. Ron Lester. Yay! Thank you again for sharing your story, sir. Absolutely. And, you know, I didn't, I, I, I acknowledge my, 
my mother, but I didn't acknowledge the other person. And that's Danny for allowing me to uh, do this interview in his apartment because I had, you know, my computer died pretty much. Oh, well, thank you, Danny. And thank you. Thank you, all of New York, for making all that noise in the background. But we are not yelling about that. We are happy that you, we, we were able to do this today. And um, yes, yes. Thank you, Danny. If you hear this podcast, we appreciate you. Thank you to your mom, who was also courageous love. Thank you again, listeners. And Ron, please let us hear your voice one more time. Yes. Um Thank you uh, t- to all of you, your listeners. Um, I wish I, my wish for you is to stay well, stay happy, and stay safe. And remember, New York City is still the ble- the best place to do some disco dancing. <laughs> and we didn't get to talk much about disco dancing, but Ron is Mr. Disco himself in New York City. So if you are looking for disco dancing once we get out of this pandemic, then look up Ron Lester because Ron, you'll be throwing shows again or not shows, but, but what do you call it? Like, um, well, dance, dance party parties. events, you know? Yeah. And you know, you know, you're not off the mark, uh, shows will have some performers as well. So yeah, dancing, you know, shows and every, yeah, the whole thing. All right. Fund, they're, they're fundraising events. Yes. Fundraising events. That's right. So everybody look up disco Ron and, just check him out come come the time this pandemic is over and you can have it again. And I'm signing off now. We're winding down, of course, Ron. I'm Shani C.L. Coleman, everyone, also known as Courageous Love. I'll be right back to tell you what's happening next week. Don't move. We believe that a natural and organic beverage for health-conscious people who want to restore and maintain the body's essential balance is available with our tasty and refreshing Kombucha EXL. Kombucha EXL is a wholesome drink that has been brewing since 2005, boasting 100% natural ingredients that will support your overall health. Kombucha EXL is only 10 calories per serving, far better than a soft drink. It's a delicious path to healthy. Order yours today at kombuchaexl.com. That's K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A-E-X-L.com. You're listening to Radio Theater for Your Soul with your host, Shanice C.L. Coleman. Please tune in again next week to hear another great story and another great storyteller right here on Radio Theater for Your Soul, where storytellers gather around the mic. And finally, I sign off weekly with a poem or what I call a poetic offering. They said that from the deepest point south, you can still see the light. After years of speculation, there is still hope for those seemingly trapped in hell on earth. That poetic offering is titled Lifting the Shade, written by yours truly. This is Radio Theater for Your Soul, a 2021 summer series And I am Shani C.L. Coleman, also known as Courageous Love. Thank you so much for listening. It's radio theater for your soul. It's radio theater for your soul. Where storytellers gather around the mic. Come on, let's go. Live readings, traditional, contemporary, original, scripted plays, film, and poetry. Where storytellers gather around the mic to be with your host. 
Miss Shanice C.L. Coleman, a.k.a. Courageous Love, always just a cut above, yeah. Storytellers gather around the night. Tell your stories. Where storytellers.